Long before the term influencer was coined, young people played the societal role by creating and interpreting trends. Now a new generation of influencers have come on the scene. Members of Gen Z are true digital natives. From the crib, they've been exposed to the internet, to social networks, and to mobile systems. Now Gen Z is officially the largest generation in the world today. They are creative, driven, entrepreneur, inquisitive, and spiritual. They are coming of age in the midst of the most unique time. This generation is surrounded by a crisis cocktail, global pandemic, racial tensions, political upheavals, economic unrest, and possibly on the brink of World War III. Yet the greatest battle will be the ideological one fought between the policy of the culture and the prophecy of the kingdom. In this episode of Keep It 100, we will build on the conversation. If caught up in the narrative, hit the table on this pivotal emerging generation and have an epic conversation with YWAM's Andy Bird. Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Keep It 100. It's Krista. Yo, 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 this is Sean. And we are excited to be with you. We have some awesome updates of some places we've been since we've been last with you, the Keep It 100 Nation. And that is we were in Roanoke, Virginia, and we had an incredible time. We had a we had a, what they call a revival weekend, and we really did have revival services. I mean, we had a powerful presence of God, personal and prophetic ministry, and we just really felt like, you know, we were true, we were true to the assignment the Lord had for us. You know, each of us did uh, two services apiece. Boo, and it was just profound. I actually felt so impacted by the prolonged worship, by just the number of people that hit the altar, the miracles we saw. We had testimonies. People got saved. People got healed. It was truly powerful. I still feel the effects. And I feel like it's so important, even to some of our listeners, that you get in meetings where the Holy Spirit has freedom. Because there's something about that. I realized how just being in that atmosphere brought revival to my spirit. And as a revivalist, it's not something you can do in isolation. It's not something you can do online. You need to go and get in atmospheres where there's moves of God. And hey, if you're not at a church that happens, maybe you just need to get some people like yourself together in your house and y'all worship God and go after it. But when you get in that atmosphere, something changes. Come on. I tell you what, it's so true. If you want to stir that fire, stoke that fire within you, get in those kind of services, get around those kind of people. But you were right after Roanoke. We came home and then you flew right out to Tulsa. I was in Tulsa, specifically Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Some of you might know that. That's where Kenneth Hagen, their their ministry, Rama is. But I was at a, another church there. And ironically, I was ministering to Gen Z. I think it's awesome because that's what kind of we're talking about on this podcast. episode, but we had 25 uh, students give their life to the Lord. And then all of a sudden words of knowledge and the prophetic broke out. We had healings uh, left and right. I think I prayed an extra after everyone hit the altar. There were hundreds of kids, hundreds of kids who hit the altar. Uh, I I probably spent another 45 minutes just praying for the sick one-on-one. They just lined up. And I just thought, oh my God, this generation is hungry for an encounter. And when they get an encounter, you could see it. One kid walked up to me and I'll never forget this, boo. He walked up to me and he says, tonight, he says, "I, I, I felt it. He says, I know just how real God is. And tonight I feel called to vocational full-time ministry. He didn't say vocational, but I knew what he meant. That is so powerful. And I love that because you're right. We're talking about Gen Z today. And I just think that's so key that you were just ministering to them. And that's just so powerful. This last weekend, I had the privilege of ministering here at our home church. And I had a girls night, kind of a women's gathering on the Friday night services. And then I did two Sunday morning services. And I tell you what, I was so honored to be able to speak and minister at our home church. And God moved. The presence of God is amazing. And I loved people's response. And just to be able to partner with what God is doing with some incredible leaders. We love our pastors and just partnering with them. It was awesome. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, this is interesting. As we're talking about caught up in the narratives, this is part two. We're specifically going to be looking at Gen Z and and stay tuned because we got an awesome interview later on. But right now, as we speak of caught up in a narrative, there's a paid service. There's a website you could go to. Get ready for this, Keep It 100 Tribe. It's called Fake a Vacation. in which people can send snapshots of themselves to this particular company. They'll edit the photos into fake but fabulous vacation spots so the client can share the images on social media sites. And this may sound extreme, but think about it. It's not too far off from the way our lives are edited on social media and the outside world to fit these happy or sometimes 
or most of the time, obviously untrue hipster narratives. We're living the life, hashtag best life now. But can you imagine you're sitting in the picture, they're showing you in Rome, they're showing you, you know, climbing the Swiss Alps, they're showing you in so many different places. But the truth be told is you just at home, you sent fake pictures in. And I think this is so indicative. I think it's actually a metaphor. The Gen Z is specifically growing up in a world filled with deception, moral compromise, and their estimation and value of truth has been affected because here you're putting this out on your IG, you're putting this out on your other social media. And ultimately, like somebody's going to ask you like, hey, what was it like when you went to this place and you didn't even go? You faked it and that they're there's a company making money that they could pay employees called fake a vacation. I mean, honestly, that I, I, I'm speechless. Honestly, I hear that and I go, what? Like that would never even cross my mind. How bizarre. It's genuinely bizarre <laughs> to me to actually think that people are going to follow up with you. They're going to be like, how was that trip in Rome? Right. And you created this fake vacation. And then now you have this whole narrative that is a complete lie. And it's a complete misrepresentation, which I really think is, like you said, so telling of a mentality of a generation. And really, because, you know, we live in a world where givens have given way and absolutes really are collapsing all around us. And now everything is fluid. You know, we see that in across the board to such an extent that this emerging generation really has few markers that actually feel certain. And I think that's really important that because there's so much fluidity, what was once certain is no longer. There is such a removal of the absolutes. Facts. And you know, people today really have compartmentalized everything, which really we see this ripple effect that people have a spiritual life, a secular life, a romantic life, a work life, a private life, a social media life, and it's all accompanied with different value systems. And this is coming from all the same person. But because there's such a compartmentalization, there's almost all these different variations of people that they live from. And, you know, it really fits into this thought of these two words that are so, these are topics that are hot topics and they're very apropos for this generation, pluralism and inclusivity. Pluralism is this smorgasbord of multiple options. Pluralism just says, hey, it's kind of like all roads lead to God, all beliefs are invited to the table. And that leads to inclusivity, which is a value system. It's almost small G gospel for a generation. Inclusivity says everything is mutually included and everything is mutually valued. Valid, and these are pervasive narratives and value systems that have been sold to a new generation. And let me tell you, the Prince of Darkness is trying to confuse and condemn a generation, robbing their destiny. The devil is a liar because what happens is when you buy into one lie, it's easier to be sold another. Let me repeat that. When you buy into one lie, it's easier to be sold into another. Ooh, oh my, that, I mean, m- drop the mic right there. That is so good. You know, we're talking about Gen Z today. And I'm going to kind of just dive into this because I just really want to have this conversation because I feel like it's so important. You know, in order to understand Gen Z, we have to actually understand the generations that have gone before them. I think we get a better glimpse, a better backdrop and really create a more accurate context for Gen Z if we understand the generations that have gone before. So let's talk about who is Gen Z actually. We have to understand that generations are shaped by the context in which they've actually emerged from. Baby boomers, which were born from 1940 to 1959, were immersed in the post-World War II context and are best represented by consumption as an expression of ideology. And Gen Xers, hello, I'm a Gen Xer, a bo- born between 1960 and 1979 consumed status, while millennials born between 1980 and 1994 consumed experiences. But for Generation Z, born between 1997 and 2012, as as we've seen the main spur to consumption is the search for truth in both a personal and a communal form, which I think is really, really interesting. Gen Z constantly evaluates from unprecedented amounts of information and influences. We talked about this on the last episode That's right. that a, a typical person today absorbs more information in one day than, you know, historically people would gather in 
in a whole year. Right. And so there is an unprecedented amount of information that Gen Z is consuming. For them, the, the self is a place to experiment, test, change. Seven out of 10 Gen Zers say it is important to defend causes related to identity. So this is really important. They're very identity focused. Yep. So they're more interested than previous generations in human rights. And it matters and matters related to race and ethnicity. So we really have to understand that 76% of Gen Zers say they're also religious, which I think this is so interesting. And at the same time, they also are the generation most open to a variety of themes, not necessarily aligned with the broader beliefs of their declared religion. So basically, I would interpret that because as we're getting this from data and research, I would say Gen Zers are 70%. 76% they would identify as spiritual. Yes. Right. I think that's a more uh, digestible term because I think we say, we think religious and we think more mainstream religions, right? Protestant, Catholicism, um, whatever it may be. But really we have to understand there's a spiritual openness with Gen Z, which actually makes them an incredible generation to get saved and what a harvest it can be because when they're open to the spiritual, imagine what God can do. You know, and I love the fact, Boo, that you covered uh, three different generations before. There's a secular book called The Fourth Turning. And basically the author is an incredible study, a sociologist, and he studies it. Essentially every four generations, it's a cyclical turn back. And so uh, later on, we're going to be talking a little bit uh, with Andy Bird. But one of the things is the hero generation, Tom Brokaw called that World War II generation. It's almost as if we're coming back to that hero generation right now. But anyway, let me contrast something. You know, a lot of times people lump Gen Z's and millennials together, and there is some reasons why. So we want to talk about some of the commonalities, but we also want to talk about some of the distinctions. Now, okay, Gen Z versus millennials. So here are some of the commonalities. They both have a desire to find or create meaning. And I think that is going to totally be the open door to a massive new Jesus people movement is that they want meaning. It's funny because you see them playing video games and getting in this an imaginary and now virtual reality. And then, you know, now Facebook and that whole thing is going to become meta. But yet in the midst of it, they have a desire to find and create meaning. Both Gen Z's and millennials have a motivation to contribute to the world around them. Both Gen Z's and millennials uh, are, are seeking to be highly educated. And in fact, Gen Z will be the the, the highest percentage uh, of any generation to receive higher education. Uh, both Gen Z's and millennials have cultural diversity. Uh, that's the reason why the situation with George Floyd and the situation that happened really spoke to this emerging generation. And Gen Z's and millennials both have a desire for their own personalized experience, which I would just throw in, they're hungry for an encounter which really, I, I love that because although that there is are, are skeptics and they're atheists, I think there were a lot more of those educated, quote unquote, atheists in past generations. This generation is looking for a spiritual experience. And so those are some of the commonalities. Boo, what are some of the distinctions between Gen Z and millennials? Yeah, I think it's really interesting to take a look at what actually makes them different. Because a lot of times when you're older, I'm obviously a generation you know, X, and so I, I could put them all together as one, but they're not. They're actually very different. And so many things that millennials have fostered as preferences have actually now become an expectation of a Gen Z. And they also expect you to take them seriously. You know, Gen Zers define themselves differently. They're intrigued by group trends. They're passionate about issues that their parents may not understand. And they're also willing to do the research. They're also willing to get educated, to get informed. I like that. They're not just taking someone at their word per se. They want to find out for themselves. Fact check. Which I think is really cool. Um, You know, so those differences that Gen Zers will be known for, specifically like putting them against the millennials, Millennials just show, trying to show some contrast. Gen Zers have less validation expectations. So let me explain that real quick. You know, we we know, and the millennials are probably so tired of it by this point. But it's like that whole like uh, participation trophy generation. Like if you just show up, you get a trophy. Well, Gen Zers actually don't need that. They don't require that, nor do they expect it. 
And so that's an interesting thing. They're not looking for that public community validation that maybe the millennial generation naturally sought for or was given to them. The Gen Zers are also more independent, more entrepreneurial, more communicative, more competitive, more motivated by security, and also driven by career and financial goals, which again is very different when you look at the data and the research compared to millennials. So we really do have a real fourth turning that's happening. All of the Gen Zers characteristics would more match a hero generations if you studied that out historically. That is so phenomenal because I know in order to really reach a generation, you have to understand missiologists that go to other nations, missionaries, they have to study the culture so they can bring the the gospel in context in order to reach them. And so obviously, as we're talking about narratives and not being caught up in the narrative, we're trying to direct this both to Gen Zers and of course to millennials, but to all generations to get an understanding because what you don't understand, you'll be threatened by or feel foreign with. Right now, this is going to be so exciting. We have Andy Bird, who is an author. He is a senior leader of the Kona YWAM, that would be Youth with a Mission, the movement that's been founded by Lauren Cunningham that's amazing. He's on the steering committee for the SEN. He will tell you about that. But let's jump in in this interview with Andy Bird. Hey, Keep Your 100 Tribe, you are in for an amazing treat. I've got one of my good friends, Andy Bird. Super excited to have you, Andy. What's going on, bro? Hey, so pumped to be on this, Sean. You are a hero of mine, bro. And uh, we got to meet, you know, a couple years ago, which was such a delight. But for years before that, I'd heard your name and uh, this wild revival preacher that was going after the wholehearted gospel in such a life-giving way. So, bro, such an honor to be on this podcast. I love you. Hey, I love you, Andy. And we were just at a conference together. It was profound, man. And I'm super excited about this time that we're together. We're talking about caught up in narratives. As you were sharing at this conference, uh, I was just so impacted by number one, your life and your heart. And when we had a a meal together in Kona, when Chris and I came up there, you're sharing a bit of your story. So one of the places I thought would be great to start for our listeners, give us your origin story of how the kingdom narrative first captured your life, because you're sold out. I mean, you're, you're, you're like a modern day William Carey, John R. Mott. Have you heard of A.T. Pearson? Oh, A.T. Pearson. Pearson is like my favorite. I can't believe you even mentioned him. When Come I read on, his bro. biography, I literally went like, God, let this be my biography. Like it was oh. the clearest match to my heart and passions I'd ever read was A.T. Pearson. Oh, bro, that fires me up. Student volunteer. I can't believe that. Most people never heard movie. of him. That's right. Listeners, if you don't know him, you need to go oh. Google him. Andy, yeah. tell us how the kingdom narrative yes. first captured your heart. Yeah, because I think narrative is everything. Like we lose our narrative, we lose our place on the wall, we lose our bearings, and that's where confusion, and then from confusion, we're only moments away from disillusionment and eventually unbelief, and we're wandering in the desert at that point. We've lost our narrative that we've been set free. We have been, you know, we're a part of a giant exodus from sin and brokenness and, you know, all that we've seen happen through the fall. And when we lose that narrative, then we we really end up like the children of Israel wandering in the desert for a generation. So I think what you're going after is so pivotal for a generation. So knowing our history is everything. So for me, my great grandma was the turn in my family. You mentioned your grandma when we were together. And I thought it was just like, I felt such a kindred spirit there. But my great grandma was baptized in the Holy Spirit at Amy Simple McPherson's church and through her ministry. And um, wow. we went from a family of, you know, solid Bible believing, um, but you know, hardworking, but not necessarily really carrying a spirit of revival to from that moment on, it shifted the trajectory of my family line. And uh, from there, my grandma and my grandfather uh, really connected deeply with the ministry of Catherine Coleman. So then my mom and my grandma ended up singing in Catherine Coleman's choir uh, for every single meeting she did in Southern California. I have these epic pictures of Catherine Coleman. And in the background is my mom and my grandma in the choir. Oh uh, my, my, mom, my mom would have been 16, 17, 18, you know, and my grandma, um, of course, you know, her a mom's age at that point. And, uh, 
And so that shifted again, our family just running after these revival roots. And then my uncle, he'd be like a great uncle to me, was one of William Branham's primary spiritual sons. And he um, he really carried some of the purity of what Branham was in his, in his most dynamic ministry years. And that whole family in the 70s, as Jesus movement is occurring, um, and they're, you know, they're trying to find their way in, in impacting society and culture, essentially get a word to move to remote. Northeastern Washington and start a community that would live the Bible at every level. My uncle, I just mentioned, kind of led the community. My great grandma was there from Amy Simple McPherson days. My grandma, my mom, my parents meet there. They get married. And I'm born in this like Christian Jesus movement, hippie type community in the middle of nowhere, an hour from the nearest town. And we essentially start a town. And uh, it was amazing. Like so grateful for those roots. And that's where for me, I didn't even know the sentence go to church because we just did church. We did church every night. Uh, We did church regularly. Our families met together. There probably was 20, 30 families by the time it peaked. And uh, we never in my life had I heard the sentence, it's time to go to church. It was like regular life on life, hearing the voice of God, believing in the supernatural. Um, But we were super isolated. And in the end, most families, that isolation led them to going, hey, this, we probably need to like move into society and culture again. We moved to remote Alaska. I went through about 12 years of total apathy, like disillusionment. My parents as well, like we came from this radical community. Now we're in remote Alaska and really not finding this sense of wholeheartedness around us. We were way out in the Aleutian Islands. There was one church wow. there and it was just a military church called the Protestant Church. And um, <laughs> and so really my high school years, mega apathetic. And this is where it ends for me on that kingdom narrative is when I was 18 years old, I didn't know what I wanted to study or do. I heard about youth with a mission, went to do a DTS for all the wrong reasons. Like kind of was like, get out of Alaska. Hawaii sounded nice. That's where I went. And Uh, travel sounded fun, but it was like God was waiting and all that generational hunger, zeal for God, spirit of revival was just right under the surface. And all I needed was God to dust off that apathy, re-encounter me with his love. So at 18 years old, I had a profound life-changing encounter that was like, just, it was just waiting for me. It was like a trap that was just waiting for me. When I sprung that trap, all of that generational hunger and years and decades and generations of going after God, it was immediately sprung up in my life. And I kind of went from like passive and apathetic to like absolutely tenaciously hungry for God. Not mature, you know, not not a great leader, but hungry for God. And that was at 18 years old. And I all I can say is for the last 20 plus years, the switch has never turned off. And um, and that my testimony is not one of like having great, you know, leadership abilities or this great resume. Mine is that it's just possible to never plateau in your hunger for God. It's possible to like go after this kingdom dream, you know, and create a story in your life that is really an ongoing, zeal-filled relationship with Jesus. Man, Andy, that is so profound. I'm thinking Amy Simple McPherson, Catherine Coleman, William Branham. I mean, those are the God's generals, man. You have deep wells, bro, in your family. And then for you oh. to describe that moment when the kingdom narrative lit all of, like you said, the seeds of, of yeah. the past moves of God and the sacrifices and the prayers. And man, for you to just kind of get lit up. Was it, obviously there was an atmosphere when you were with the YWAM, it was getting around other people that were really running for the Lord. Was there any kind of message in that time that just really resonated with your heart that, that, that just gripped you kind of a particular, obviously the gospel is vast, but is there a specific truth or yeah. narrative that gripped you at that time? Yeah, it, there really was, honestly, because the kind of the root of my passivity for so many years was feeling that I was endlessly trying to earn the love and the approval of God. When I went to YWAM, the thing that really detonated my heart was all of a sudden realized I'd been living my whole life for love and I was meant to live from love. And wow. when I got freshly encountered with the love of God and he began to melt away kind of some of my edges of egoism and insecurity and inferiority 
you know, fears. And when the love of God began to touch those things, while I was still immature, like before I ever led anything or thought I'd lead anything, I had a profound revelation that I was living from love for the rest of my life. And it really was that. It was the message of the extravagant, audacious, radical hound of heaven that never gives up pursuing his sons and daughters to awaken them to love that changed everything for me. And that's why I say I got off the floor different, not mature, not with the ability to speak or communicate or any of that, but I got up off the floor absolutely convinced that he loved me extravagantly, even in my weakness. And I began the journey of living from love and it changed everything. Oh my gosh, Andy. Oh man, it's so profound. I'm sure there's somebody listening right now because I, I run into this a lot. I, I actually live this out too. You just think, hey man, what I've done is just so bad. Addictions I got caught up in, the lifestyle, the choices I made, my family background, all that stuff. And the enemy just tries to sell people this false narrative that you're a throwaway, that you're you're not lovable, that you will be rejected and all this stuff. And then to fall into the ultimate kingdom narrative for God so loved the world, that God has this very personal love for us, that even while we were away from him, while we were sinners, yeah. before we ever had any activity going on in our life towards God, God first reached out to us and loved us, man. And that that is profound. That's as profound as it gets. Hey, you were talking, man. And, and I'm telling you what, when you spoke in your session at the uh, conference, I believe it was, man, it, I, it took everything in me, bro, to not run around the room, set my hair on fire. <laughs> What, what today, because a large part of your ministry is really going after the emerging generation, but Gen Z is the largest generation to ever hit the planet. What do you see are the uh, contrary narratives that are conspiring to capture the heart of Gen Z right now? Wow, good question. And I would love to hear your answer on this because uh, you are so, you have done such an amazing job of staying so connected to the next generation in your in your messaging, your passion, your heart. Um, but a couple things I would say to that is one of the biggest false narratives that I feel the enemy is writing is a false definition of love. Mm. And um, it's, a, it's a definition of love that is the acceptance of one's emotions as truth versus the belief that there is a higher truth, an absolute truth that is actually what's best for everyone because it is the imago day. It is the created order that brings abundant life and life everlasting. But the, the lie is that that love is the acceptance of someone's emotional persuasion at any given moment. So someone feels a certain way, then it's loving to accept how they feel. Uh, someone changes how they feel any given day, then it's loving to accept that change. Someone has a strong opinion in a direction, then it is loving to honor and just accept and validate that strong opinion. But in reality, the, the number of people believing something has never made it true in history. Um, the, the louder someone believes it has never made it true. So Ooh. unfortunately, our definition of love is validating the loud voices or what might even be perceived at times like the mob mentality or the bulk of voices. But numbers and volume have never determined truth. Wow. Uh, the God determines truth and his created design is the only place to find abundant life. So I think that false narrative is a massive one. And it is what is leading to what I would say then maybe is the second false narrative is when you misdefine love, then you misdefine freedom. And freedom gets defined as the uh, then the ability is the fierce independence of anyone to do whatever they want. And, uh, you know, I've read this recent article probably a year ago now, and I don't know if this will go anywhere, but you could see it going somewhere based on where we're at, is that one of the newest forms of discrimination that was emerging in this article is particularly from Europe was age discrimination. And that was that you should never be able to tell someone how old they are. They can be however old they want, however old they feel. And um, that sounds so absurd to us, but we have already removed some major landmarks in terms of just fundamental beliefs about someone and their their identity, that it wouldn't be that far reaching to think we could actually go there. And that is the false narrative of freedom, that freedom, again, is to be able to do whatever we feel at any time. And that that's the most honoring thing is to let someone be free. But that literally everyone's story is that when they really walked in their own freedom, they landed on the rocks, they ended up shipwrecked. And the Bible doesn't actually um, have a definition for freedom the way we've defined it. We've defined freedom as the ability to do whatever one wants. That kind of freedom doesn't exist in the Bible. 
And the reality is that scripture says everyone's a slave. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. And the real freedom is only found in slavery to righteousness. There is not such a thing as a full independence of an individual, do whatever we want. That's actually slavery to sin. That's the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And of course, we saw where that landed. Nobody ever wants to read Judges. It's the most depressing book in the whole Bible. (laughs) But it is the picture of the false narrative of love leading to the false narrative of freedom. And the result is the total degradation of society and a total brokenness of family and of individual life. And so that's where we're headed with that false narrative. And I think that is an all-out assault more than any generation in human human history never as a generation woken up with greater uh, with a greater ideological battle than this generation from the moment they wake up they're turning on their phones they're scrolling through the news the media and they are hearing the false narrative so from morning till night we are being inundated with this false narrative all the more reason we need to recover the true narrative of redemption and the, the narrative of god and his created design and order man Profound, Andy. I mean, just so profound. And you know, you you hit on it. And I think if I could throw in another word, you know, I think there's a generation. Please. Obviously, these are these they're digital natives. They they like you said yeah. from the morning. This was the first generation. Completely everything in terms of a computer in their pocket, uh, access to what the global village believes, feels. Yes. And and I was thinking about even in video games. I kind of feel like one of the words for this generation is customization. You know, you you could customize your avatar, you could customize your profile pic, you can do all these different things, filters, change it, cat eyes, whatever you want to do. Uh, and there's been such a almost in the midst of this customization, the the deception or the false narrative of it is like you said, you can customize truth. You can customize your reality. And and the truth be told is that we recognize we live by absolutes all the time. I mean, when you went to Alaska, you could believe that the temperatures were super warm, but there's some times I'm sure during the colder months, you, the reality of it is, is you go out and you look at that thermometer and that's telling you that's exactly. something degrees. You could believe in your head what you want, but you go out there and catch a cold freeze or whatever, because there, there is an absolute. And what has happened, I think, in a, what a false narrative does is I, I go, there's two types of lies. Like I can go to Whole Foods right? And there's a certain place where they'll weigh your food. Now, one level of lying is I don't see the scale. So the person, I'm weighing my food, you pay for your food based on what it weighs. So this, my, my, my meal is weighing, you know, 1.3 pounds. Person behind it puts a piece of tape on it. They've lied to me. They go, no, your food weighed two pounds. I'm paying more money. Or the worst kind of lie is they could go in and alter the weight system and yeah. change it to where they flip it around and show me that it's two pounds. But in fact, they've altered the entire mechanism and how it weighs. And to me, that's the worst kind of lie. That's the Gen Z lie. That's the false narrative is that now you're not just told lies. They've altered the scales. of. Yes. So you really believe wow. this is what it is when in fact, it's totally false. I think wow. the altering of scales and the customization lie that I could customize truth. I could mix this, mix that, put it together, and I'd somehow have truth. And and like you said, no, that there is one true ultimate narrative. There's a reality because sometimes I think we confuse facts with truth. You know, it's yes. a fact that a that a tree in my front yard is green, but that won't be a fact when the season changes. It's going to have different color yeah. leaves. But there's a yeah. truth that is timeless, man. And I think, oh man, you're just wow. you're that's so profound, wow. bro. That is, no, you said that so well, those analogies and those are everything and being able to grapple with that and, and bring it into everyday life. That is so well said. Man, you're you're a father, obviously, of Gen Z. You know, you see the war over them, but what do you feel is heaven's narrative over Gen Z? Man, that's so good. I would say I really believe this is an activist generation. And that's why if you have a false narrative of love and freedom, then that activism becomes dangerous. And uh, Um, Those are the activist movements in history that are still told about that cause tremendous pain, tremendous division, tremendous damage. And we've already seen that play out in the last several years when an activist generation adopts a false narrative of love and a false narrative of freedom, then chaos results, confusion results. 
And what was meant to be activism unto breakthrough turns into activism unto anarchy, activism unto, you know, that same judges mentality. And we end up in a culture war. I think that heaven's narrative over the generation is to truly be an activist. There are enough statistics to show that Gen Z could easily be the most missionally and evangelistic and kind generation in history. But all of Gen Z is wired activist. I mean, you just see it everywhere. They're, They're looking for something to activate towards and for, and they're looking for a cause where I think millennials were wired differently. Millennials were wired for ambiguity. They were wired for relationship. They were wired to go deep in community. And that was some of the redemptive calling of the millennial generation. But I look at Gen Z and go, man, these guys are action-oriented activists that want change now, and they want a cause worth living for, a cause worth dying for. I would say they're less individualistic in that they don't necessarily are just looking for their 401k, you know, their career and their success. They want collective breakthrough. They're looking wow. at their people around them going, hey, we've got to work together for a breakthrough over this. So you imagine that type of DNA harnessed for the kingdom. And I think we are absolutely postured for one of the greatest waves of Jesus the evangelist rising in the nations again, and Jesus the missionary arising. But I feel this generation is pre-wired to tap into that heart in Jesus as the evangelist and the missionary to both see the 3.2 billion people around the world that are still waiting for the gospel reach, but also to believe for the re-evangelization of our own nations, another Jesus Amen. revolution. And I would say it's a it's a hero generation. World War II raised up a hero generation. But I promise you, when they were 14 and they were going into high school, their parents were not calling them a hero generation. They were making fun of them. They were worried about their work ethic. They were worried about their forms of entertainment. They were worried about them playing cards and going dancing, whatever it may have been. But then World War II hits and the crisis pulls out the gold in the generation. And that generation that had all the same issues that any generation has had and all the same complaints from the previous generation, they go in mass to lay their lives down, nameless and faceless, and die on beaches, die in the ocean, die on islands, die in the air for a cause greater than themselves. And history honors them as the hero generation. I think we've got another hero generation on our hands with Gen Z. We have It is our job to help them understand that the greatest battle in human history is being waged right now, and it is an ideological battle over whether God will be seen for who he is and his nature and character, or whether these false narratives will rule the day. And when Gen Z gets a hold of that battle, I think they will rise mass and willing to sacrificially surrender their lives in missions, evangelism, activism, justice, mercy, compassion to see the world impacted for the gospel. So that, I believe, is the narrative God's writing over this generation. Oh my gosh, man, that is so profound. Who was that one newest correspondence? Was it was it Brokaw or one of the guys that called them the greatest generation? I remember. Yeah. Right. So they're youngsters and they see 9-11, you know, crisis. And then the whole crash of 2008, people lost their homes. Thing. And then we went into this whole, they're doing uh, school from home. Man, you got a pandemic, you got variations. I say we had more variants of coronavirus than Loki on Disney Plus, man. We had all these. <laughs> and, and now we're on the brink, some would say, that this could be the possibility of World War III, you know, the situation with, with Putin and what's going on in Ukraine. And, and it's bigger than that. And obviously there, 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 there's a reason to pray, obviously for Ukraine, but there's a reason to pray for Russia because we're, we're ultimately yes. pulling for the purposes of the Lord. But I'm thinking a generation that has had that, you know, maybe the generation before us, maybe their big thing was the assassination of JFK and the assassination of Martin Luther King and everybody knew where they were or the the Challenger, you know, spaceship blew up. But I'm thinking this generation has been one crisis after another, after another, after Uh, another. And there was this secular dude that wrote a book on the making of a hero, but but he talks about essentially what is called an inciting incident that every hero, whether you're Peter Parker and you see your uncle Ben shot or you're Bruce Wayne, you see your dad, Thomas Wayne, he's shot in front of you. But in that crisis, it awakened this justice fighting, contending. And I believe there's a reason why hero movies are so like, they're the cash cows of Hollywood right now. I I read like 20 some odd out of the top 30 
grossing movies of all time are now superhero movies and six. Wow. But I think it is, it's a reflection that there's a generation that, that is hardwired by the Lord for the heroic. And so I love that you, you mentioned that and you call that out, man, Andy, you're a part of something that I believe is so profound, man. I'm rooting you guys on and praying. You know, I've got some great, great friends that are running alongside of you with this, but how do you feel? What is the sin and how does this play into the narrative that God has for this time in history for a generation? Yeah, I when we um when we started the send it was 2018 and it was this prophetic word that the incredible movement of the call with Lou Engel was transitioning that Lou would transition it from the call had gone out to it's time to send sort of to the call of the Lord to Isaiah declaring here am I send me. And so we felt that transition was in the air that many of us had been marked and profoundly changed by the ministry of the call and prayer and fasting and, and a generation believing for revival. And, and now it was time to believe that we would see a massive activation and sending movement of the everyday believer to walk out their missional calling. So that was the mission, the vision. In 2018, though, I would say we were very much where you said that you're still looking back on kind of one traumatic event a decade. You know, you're in 2018, you're still looking back at like, there's one national kind of traumatic moment that everyone remembers where they were a decade, having no idea that literally in the next two to three years, we would have several a year that everyone would look back on and remember where they were, that we would experience multiple traumatic moments moments as a nation in a two-year period of time that would literally change the landscape of the nation um, in two years. And when we did our first gathering in Orlando to our next gathering now in Kansas City, it's a different country. We're a different globe. Like everything's changed. And so for us, the send is just one of the things, many things that God is doing around painting this picture and creating this narrative for the church today and for Gen Z. And that the send's role in that is to be a trumpet blast, that the Great Commission would be in the center of the conversation of global Christianity, that there wouldn't be a boardroom, there wouldn't be a staff meeting, there wouldn't be a faculty meeting, there wouldn't be a Christian school, there wouldn't be a church, there wouldn't be a family of believers who isn't talking about the Great Commission. And it, it, today, you know, statistics show with Barna that 17% of churchgoers can say what the Great Commission is anymore. Wow. So that leaves, you know, another 83% that maybe have heard of it, but aren't sure what it means or have never heard of it. And you've got to ask yourself the question, if we don't know what the Great Commission is anymore, what are we talking about? Right. What are we talking about in our churches? What are we talking about in our media? What are we talking about in our magazines? What are we talking about on social media? If the mission of the church and the final commands of Jesus aren't driving us, then what is driving us? So mm. the mission of the send is to be one of many. There's lots doing this across the body of Christ. But one of the voices to say, we have got to recover the global and historic storyline of the Great Commission. It is preaching the gospel to all creation, Mark 16. It is making disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. And it is doing it everywhere in the world, Acts chapter one, from Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the earth. It is all of that and all the uniqueness of that and the diversity of that but it's got to redefine the mission of the church and every believer on the planet would be the simplicity of the Great Commission. So we feel God wants to put that on trumpet, like trumpet blast across the earth, which is what's driving us to Kansas City, then to Norway in June, to Argentina in October, three different continents this year, is to blast the trumpet. This is for every believer, every church to find your place in the Great Commission, your high school, your university, your neighborhood, your workplace, um, the the vulnerable children of our nations in the foster care system or in in orphanages, and of course, the 3.2 billion unreached peoples waiting for the gospel. So that really defines the mission of what we're going after. I love that. And hey, tell us, when is the Kansas City sin? That's obviously the closest one to us and how we can support you, follow you, website, any kind of information you want to give our listeners, because I know there's some people fired up based on what you're sharing. Your your message is so clear, bro. That's what I love. It's just, it's so clear. I think the simplicity, the authenticity, the power, the way it aligns with just scripture. Uh, I'm, I'm moved. I know a lot of people listening are. So tell us about the event and how we can support you and how we can follow oh. you. 
Yeah, thank you. Um, please come. We just I got a message from our crew today. I think we have about 35,000 people registered for the Send Kansas City already. And um, of course, the last two months is where things really go um, next level. So we're expecting and, and aiming for about 65,000, which would fill that stadium. Um, we're preparing for overflow if it's necessary. But I would just say come May 14th, we'll be gathering. It's a Saturday. All day long, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., 12 hours of worship, prayer, going after the glory of God, a true encounter with his presence, and then to be commissioned into real mission fields out of that. So all day long, talking about the Great Commission story, testimony, and calls to action. And uh, we're just not holding back. These are going to be the most direct, um, clear calls to action we have ever done. Um, we're just, it's not time to hold back. Nobody wants their ears tickled anymore. This is not pillow talk. Um, this is, we need straight truth and we need straight calls to action to meet real needs around the world and in America. So join us, go to the send.org. That's our website where you can register, follow the send on Instagram or Facebook. And um, of course, uh, TikTok as well. And you'll be able to find links to register and more about who's coming and the messaging. But really, it's not about who's coming. Um, we had the most phenomenal call with every worship leader that's coming yesterday, which I thought it was a miracle every worship leader even got on a call. And it was revival. People were in tears as we talked about a pure sound of worship, as we talked about no one caring about a stage or a microphone or their name or their moment, that we were coming together to believe that a generation would be marked with the purity of the glory of God and the unique role that worship and praise and exaltation and prayer plays in that. And I was undone looking at these well-known worship leaders in tears at the purity of what we're all believing for and a belief that God would pour out his glory on a generation. So that's my expectation. So come and join us, be there, and let's believe for a tipping point moment that would give a generation something to remember on a day that they would never forget where they were that isn't a tragedy and a crisis, but a faith moment and a tipping moment for a Jesus revolution in a nation. Man, that's so profound. Hey, keep it 100, tribe. Make it out to this. You don't have to be Gen Z. This is for all age yes, groups. The generations right. coming together. I, I feel like the legacy, if you're an older generation and the destiny, if you're a younger generation, I believe this is going to be, as he said, a tipping point, a catalyst. And what I want to fight for, and you're fighting for it, is that we want a reference point. You were sharing your family history. There were reference points where they saw a move of God whether it was Amy Simple McPherson, whether it was Catherine Coleman, but we want to fight. I mean, in somebody's rearview mirror, they were at maybe the Great Welsh Revival with yes. basically their Gen Z of their day. You know, whether it was Flory Evans, the girl says, I love Jesus yes. with all my heart at her little sin moment, or we're very familiar with Evan Roberts, but they had a reference point. We want to fight that a generation has a reference point. And I love that. It isn't a tragedy. It's a marking point. It gives them permission to run. Andy, dude, thanks so much for taking time. I know you're super busy. You're on a flight to South Africa. It's an honor. Man, we love you. We're going to be praying for you. And uh, we can't wait just to see what God's going to do, man. Thank you for your yes to God and your obedience. Sure, love you, bro. Give our love to your love wife you, and beautiful family. Will man. do. Oh, my goodness. I love Andy. I love his heart. I love his passion. I love his insight, his wisdom. He is such a wealth of insight and revelation of the pulse of a generation. It's incredible what he shared. And then his personal background and just the heritage he comes from, it really has made him who he is today. What an incredible conversation. All right, Keep It 100 Tribe, it's, and it's now the Keep It 100 Takeaways. Today, we're going to be talking to you about three false narratives that are conspiring for this generation. Number one, are you ready? God is love, so you need to not just tolerate, but accept alternative lifestyles, moral ambiguities, and spiritual dissimilarities. You know, here, here I want to break this down because I want us to understand with this first Keep It 100 takeaway that often truth can get wrapped up in a lie. True. Yes, is God love? Of course he is, but he's also more than that. He is righteousness, he's justice, he's holy, all of the same time while being rooted and grounded in love. So God does not embrace rebellion against himself, which is what moral and spiritual diversity is. Often the false narrative of love that's passed around today, you know, we have to really understand that's actually human sentimentalism. 
Yes, human sentimentalism. That's right. God is love. So anything that contradicts his will and his word isn't love. You know, it's actually a weaponized narrative meant to get you tolerant to where you should be actually discerning. The Bible didn't tell us to be tolerant. It tells us to be forbearing. In other words, we must be patient with people and their sin while they are being transformed by truth. Yet we are to combat lies with truth. You know, it's funny when you talk about that, And I think that's so important about understanding that God is love, but God defines love. You can't define love. And we define love. It goes back to that thing of inclusivity. It goes back to that thing, pluralism. But God, Jesus is very clear that there are certain standards. So that's so powerful what you shared. The second false narrative that is conspiring for this generation is, catch it, where there is no absolute truth, my truth is as valid as your truth. So live in your own truth. You know, we have to understand, I love people who say there is no absolute truth because their statement is framed with an absolute truth, (laughs) right? You have to love Pontius Pilate who rhetorically asked, what is truth when talking with Jesus? And truth is what God says truth is, period. We have to understand there is no such thing as your truth or my truth or anyone else's truth. Truth is what you find in scripture, period. Come on. Satan, however, wants you to believe that what you think is true is more valid than what God says is true. God says, and he tells us, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Catch that in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. That's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. This isn't advice. This is a warning. We have to understand it's not about us leaning into to our own understanding. And that really defies that false narrative that's really going after a generation and really going after society. God's word is our absolute truth. Dang, that's so powerful. All right, gang, the third false narrative that's conspiring for this generation is the lie that Christians are intolerant, they're judgmental, they're mean-spirited, they're hypocritical, they've done more harm in the name of Jesus than any other group in history. And if you are a Christian, and you've been all those things, repent, get right with God. There are some Christians that have been that. But but, but let me go back and address this false narrative. Satan's false narratives are all over this. So here it is. There's the the false narrative essentially saying Christians are off, so their God must be off too. Let me tell you the bottom line game. The bottom line is you got your labels wrong. I'm not intolerant. If you're a believer, you're not intolerant. It's just, I disagree with you. And there's a difference of me disagreeing with you and me being intolerant. Just because I disagree with you doesn't mean I'm intolerant. It just means I disagree with you. And some of you out there that are saying that Christians are intolerant, some people out there that are saying that, you're kind of leaning towards this thing that if anyone disagrees with you, then they're intolerant, then it really is a fact that you're the one being intolerant of differing ideas. So anytime a person has an idea different than yours, you call them intolerant. That sounds like you're the one intolerant. And unfortunately, many Christians have fallen for this false narrative and they agree that Christians are bad and that if we would just apologize for our history and we would love each other, then everything would just work out fine. It would be all awesome and all that. But that's not true. Here's how you can handle this false narrative and listen up, keep it 100 tribe. Sometimes you can say, yes, I'm intolerant. I'm intolerant of the things that God says are intolerable. Jesus rebuked a church in Revelation and he says, I have this Uh, odd, I have this issue with you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. And so he was rebuking them for the sin of toleration. So sin in any form is intolerable. Say it with me, intolerable. It is intolerable in my life. And if it's intolerable in my life, it's intolerable in any life. Just like I'm fighting to against being sinful in my life. I want to repent of it, confess it. When I do sin, I have to fight against the acceptance of sin in our culture. Let me say that again. I don't want anyone to miss it. Just like you fight from being sinful in your own life, you repent of it, you confess it, there's a fight against it, or if there isn't, there should be. You ought to fight against the acceptance of sin in your culture. Because the bottom line is this, there's no right way to do the wrong thing, so I'm gonna follow God and not man. And you know what? This is what often happens. You can talk yourself into anything. Our internal narratives justify our beliefs as well as our actions, but when those narratives are not true, they lead to destructive thoughts and behaviors, and we can choose to carry around false narratives that are comfortable, 
or we can look to destroy them. But the scripture that is always for me, man, brought the greatest fear of God in my heart. Actually, there are about three of them, but one of them is there's a way that seems right to a man. Its end is destruction. And so false narratives carry consequences. And so these are just some of the false narratives that are battling against you. But understand this, you take thoughts captive. You fight against wrong storylines by tapping into God's storyline, which is the gospel. And you've got to know the word. You've got to know the character of the king. You, we do have to walk in love. And we're not called to be tolerant. We're called to be forbearing. Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at seanandkristasmith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, you do not want to miss next episode as we continue this talk on caught up in the narrative, but we're going to talk to you about the right narrative to be caught up in. And remember, relief may change your circumstance, but a revelation will change you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram and seanandkristasmith.com where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it